Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing. On this week's pod, we've also got a special edition where we sit down with Brad Binder ahead of the 2021 season. Steve English, Adam Wheeler and Neil Morrison on the show. And Adam, before we start to speak with Brad, what's your impressions of him as a MotoGP rider? Well, um, an amazing start to his, his MotoGP career. But I think if there's one rider that could have made a shock in 2020, then it was him. Um, of course, the biggest surprise was, of course, was Joan Mir winning the World Championship. But, uh, you know, the determination and the kind of application that we've seen from Binder since he matured in the Moto3, Moto3 class, um, taking that amazing victory in Jerez, which, you know, I think all three of us can agree was one of the most staggering in, in recent times. Um, you know, through Moto2 and a badly broken arm, uh, you know, we've seen glimpses of the kind of character um, and the fortitude that's needed to succeed. So, you know, I think it's it's refreshing to have, you know, a rider of Brad's uh, caliber and ilk, but also his nationality and his personality in the class. I think it's, uh, it's a big asset. And Neil, what about yourself? What's your impressions on? Yeah, Adam already touched on that, but um, you know, something along the same lines of, of of just how bloody minded he is. I mean, we've seen a couple of occasions um during his career where Brad probably shouldn't have achieved the results that he did. Um, and I certainly think of the year that he challenged for the Moto Two Championship in two thousand and nineteen. He really had no right to be there. You know, it had no right to be winning races for most of that year, but uh, it was just his refusal to kind of give in and, and basically accept the limitations of his machinery um, that uh, carried him almost to the, the, the World Championship. But um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, he's a cool guy. He's a unique character. He's pretty laid back, but on the surface, that is, I think, you know, deep down, he is uh, kind of as dogged and uh, as aggressive as they come. He's quite refreshing to talk to as well. He's quite direct and to the point, um, you know, got a pretty decent sense of humor. Um, so it's as a journalist uh, or somebody that's kind of out for an opinion or a story, he can be good value. Um, but I, I don't think we should make, you know, too light of his achievement last year. I mean, he was more than two seconds adrift uh, in his first test in Lorenzo as a MotoGP rider and then, you know, had some fantastic success throughout the season and made a big, big milestone for Red Bull KTM factory racing. So, and that again was on a motorcycle that many people expected to be there or thereabouts and not actually fighting at the front. So, uh, you know, big, big credit to him. Yeah, and I think for me, one of the things that always stood out for Brad is that he was one of those riders that came through the Mahindra Moto3 school. You know, you were on a, a poor bike or an underperforming bike, you've got to get the most out of it. And he found a way to get to the front. And then whenever he got onto a good Moto3 bike, a good Moto2 bike, a good Moto GP bike, he's been able to win. So he's always had that ability to be able to get the most out of himself and his package. And that's where it's always interesting to sit down and talk to him. And we had the chance to talk to him just after the opening two days of MotoGP testing in Qatar. So let's hear from the man himself, Brad Binder. Brad Binder joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast. And uh, Brad, we're talking to you just after the first couple of days in Qatar. And you know it's always a bit strange when you jump back onto a MotoGP bike after the off-season break. But this is even weirder for everyone. It's been an extra, extra long off-season. And those first couple of days must have been a little bit hectic for you. Yeah, it's always it's always a little bit difficult to get back into things um, when you when you get back for the first time. But uh, all in all, it you know I think it was it was really amazing to actually ride this bike again, and it was so much fun. Um, you know, it's funny that you almost forget uh, a little bit of the small tricks that you need <laughs> over the winter time. So the first couple of days were a little bit hard. Um, unfortunately, I ended up throwing it down the road a couple of times, which didn't help me much at all. 
but uh yeah in general so good to be back and i'm really really i'm um, excited to get these next three days started I know that Neil and I obviously have a lot of questions for you where we'll go into a lot of details. But just before we start off with Neil, I wanted to ask you about those couple of crashes because obviously we all talk about it the whole time about how testing's great, but we always read too much into the times. You know, we see guys that are fast in the winter tests and suddenly when the season starts, they're a lot further down the timesheets. You were quite far down the timesheets compared to where everyone expected. So for you, is it is it the opposite where you just sort of say, you know, you're building up towards the start of the season? That's where it all it all counts. Yeah, to be honest, I don't think we can look into the times too much, especially mine, because uh, the first day I ended up crashing before I put in the new tires as well. So that wasn't ideal. So then we I ended up losing a set and we had to put in our last tires for the day just well, when the sun was practically up. So um yeah that that wasn't ideal on the first day and uh from then on on the second day um you know we used the the harder compounds in the morning uh put in one good set of tires did a few laps tried a few different things and at the end of that run i ended up crashing uh on the last last couple laps of of my second set for the day and um yeah i ended up crashing on my third lap third lap of my new set and then both my bikes are quite broken so uh <laughs> that was my day finished pretty much on day two so um yeah a little bit little bit uh, more difficult than i would have liked for sure but uh all in all you know um shit happens and it's just gone from here hi brad how's it going good bad you yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. Good to see you. Um, it was interesting last year to hear um, some of your MotoGP competitors um, describe your riding style, and some noted that you were still riding in some ways like a, a Moto2 uh, machine. And I was just wondering, like, have you been using the test to evolve your riding style? I guess that's um, that's a continual process. Um, do you feel like you're still riding the MotoGP bike, bike like a Moto2 machine? I'm sure I think I think I do in some ways, but at the same time, I think our bikes are a little bit different to some of the others, and you almost have to. And um, we were going through some data now, uh, just just before I walked in here, and it definitely looks like I'm trying to be too smooth and too round and all of that, and it just doesn't work for us. So uh, the only way to really get the the benefit out the bike is to be that little bit more aggressive and really get the thing squared up and on the throttle as hard as you can. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit little bit different for sure. Um, you know, I definitely did put in a bit of focus to try and try and adapt a little bit more to this bike over the off season. But uh, it, it seems it seems that the way I was doing it seemed to work a little bit better for me than what I was trying to do at least the last two days. You know, I just wanted to know. Well, could you just tell our listeners a bit about what it's like to be in a factory team? Because I know last year would have been your first year. Um, you know, and you would have probably not wanted to move the furniture around too much or be too demanding and just, you know, try and absorb as much as you can. But now you're into your second year. What's it like being in that pit box? I mean, do you do you have the possibilities to demand a lot? Um, you know, you have quite a, a huge amount of staff, you know, listening to your every kind of comment. Um, what's it like being in there? I mean, for sure, at the beginning, it can be a little bit overwhelming. You know, um, you kind of stop after your after a couple of runs, and you, you know, they expect feedback, and you kind of like, yeah, I'm just trying to get up to speed. You know, it's been <laughs> been a long off season, but um, yeah, to be honest, you know, I I tried to things as simple as possible. Um, I like to try whatever they they uh, whatever we have, and just give my honest feedback. You know, um, 
better, worse. I think there's potential. I don't think there's potential. And uh, yeah, you know, I think I like to let, you know, we have each job in the team is pretty much for one specific guy. And um, the reason they're there is because they're the best at it. So for me to try and get too involved, I find just really, uh, it's a waste of energy sometimes. And yeah, I mean, often there are things that I'd, I like to try. And obviously, I get try get my point there. Well, I'll definitely get my points across. But um, yeah, I think it's really important to understand that I have a, an amazing team behind me, and I've seen it from the beginning of last season, and they know exactly what they're doing. So um, yeah, I'm that guy that's got to uh, that sits on the bike and got to try it all. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, all of our all of the comments go back to them, and then they sort it all out for the next time round. Brad, I remember when you were in Moto2, um, you admitted that you maybe weren't one of the riders that was automatically fast whenever you stepped into a new category. It needed a bit of time for you to figure it out in your head and to get up to speed. Um, yet, you won your third ever MotoGP race, um, which was you know, a real surprise for many people and a bit of a, a turn up for the books. I mean, what was the, what was the difference in MotoGP that allowed you to be right on it from the, the very start of the season? Uh, to be honest, difficult to say. I mean, I was shocking at the beginning in GP. <laughs> shocking. Like the first two, three days, I was stone last. And um, it's funny. Then all of a sudden, things started to make sense. And I under needed, I could really understand what I had to do to improve my lap times. And uh, this, it's strange because you change some small things and it goes such a long way. Um, I think it's all about understanding how to use the power and how to get the, the best out of the package. So, uh, yeah. I think it's safe to say maybe in this off season, it, I got a little bit rusty with some of these small things. And um, yeah, uh, I think I think it's it's one of those things. The only way to really learn it or to get it right is to do more laps again. Uh, it is true of my career. I've never, ever been the quickest guy from the beginning. Uh, it's always taken me a while to really get, get things under control and understand the things. But once I do, I never seem to, to really go backwards again. So um let's let's hope that you know all that i've learned last year and i'm still continuing to learn i see that it's uh never ending really you know um and i think it's going to help me in the long run the main the main thing that i've i've really noticed so far is uh each time we go to a new track as well it, there's so many different points about it and now also um hopefully once this whole COVID story is uh, a thing of the past and we start to go to all the new tracks again um, at least I'll have that experience and understanding of the bike before we get to these new circuits. Just to take on from that, Brad, then obviously with Danny Pedroza as the test rider for the team, that's obviously been a massive benefit for KTM. We've talked about it a lot in the podcast, just about how having a fast test rider really helps the race riders to get all the data. You mentioned about like at, uh, when you started on the GP bike that it was tough for you. Those early season races, we had a pre-season test or a pre-event test in Jerez. KTM obviously tested in Brno and Austria as well. How big of a benefit was that to be able to then give you the the foundation and then the confidence to really kick on at the start of the season? Yeah, I mean, it, we, we're so fortunate to have uh, Danny and Mika as our test riders. They definitely do a lot of the the job behind the scenes for for us <laughs> you know it's it's great when you know you're trying something it's our first time trying it but they've already done many laps on it and they have a good idea of that it's working well or you know what's exactly to expect and um yeah i think that makes our lives definitely a lot easier 
it's 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 definitely uh, funny to think that two of the the three races that KTM won at last year we had done a lot of laps at, and I think it is also that also helps. It is definitely important to have a, a good base there, but there's also there are also many other tracks where I think our bike was extremely extremely strong. So uh, yeah, um, you know, going going forward this year, I think um, it's it's so good to have everything pretty much very similar to last year and uh, just give us some time to really try and uh, get the, the absolute best out of our package and also myself personally I feel that I have a lot of learning to do still and I have a really really long way to go so uh, we're just going to have to take it one step at a time and see where we end up. Brad as um, you know someone who's new to the class what's it like um, you know having to race some of the the riders that you've been watching for years I mean you know when you're coming up to overtake Valentino Rossi or last year Andrea De Vizioso, is there a part a small part of your brain that is trying to compute exactly what you're, you're doing there I mean I know you weren't racing Mark Marquez um, but you know is there a part of you that thinks wow I you know I just passed him or I'm just having to fight with this guy I mean there is there a little bit of were you starstruck a little bit it's funny you it's strange because i honestly thought it would be like that it was a little bit like at the first laps around uh you know valencia the when you when you're riding behind these guys it's people that you've only really watched on tv your whole life now you're on track with them so it is really really awesome but um it's funny like i in my first race going into turn one in Jerez, i went around the outside of rossi and i never really even realized you know so uh, it's funny you don't care when you're in the moment you just really want to go forward and that's all that matters it doesn't matter who it is or what it is but you just know where you want to be and I think uh, everything just falls into place at the end of the day we're all here we all want to win and uh, regardless how long you've been here or what machine you're on or who you are you know you just got to you all fighting to be on top so uh, it's funny how things just go out the window quite quickly. Brad, I remember back in uh, 2016, the year before KTM entered the MotoGP class, um, the top brass of the factory were speaking in Austria. Um, and I think Mr. Pirer made some comments that he thought the, the project was capable of winning the MotoGP within five years. And everyone rolled their eyes, I think, and thought, well, that's a bit, a bit silly, a bit uh, ambitious, overly ambitious. But obviously you had experience of, of working with KTM and working with the likes of Pitt and, and Mr. Pirer um, at that stage did you think back then that it was fanciful are, are you surprised i guess with how rapidly uh ktm has, has got to the front of MotoGP? um yeah you know i think uh, it's hard to say it's it's a yes and no answer because uh you know if you if you look back at them in moto 3 and moto 2 uh straight away they've brought out a, a machine that's always been extremely competitive and you know Obviously, MotoGP is a whole nother ball game, and it's clear to see at the beginning it obviously wasn't very easy. But um, you know, the the one thing I've learned with KTM, if they've set a goal and they have, uh, they they know exactly what they they're there for. Um, you know, KTM, no matter what it is, whether it be motocross or you know now road racing, it's they're there to win, and that's the that's why they go racing. So. You know, for me, it's it's no shock at all that they expected it, and uh, they set these big targets, and ninety percent of the time, that uh, you see them achieve them. So, uh, you know, I I have great respect for all the guys in the company, and uh, 
they they an insane bunch of guys but um it's super super cool to to check what they've achieved so far and i'm sure it's very very far from over brad um less than half of the motor gp grid have won grand prix in each category and you're one of them um you know from the outside motor three looks ridiculous it looks like chaos uh motor two we all know is such fine fine margins between the riders um, and MotoGP, of course, has that mix of manufacturers and it's so tight. But can you talk about the intensity of the competition in MotoGP? Is it far, far uh, harder to deal with compared to the other classes? The main thing I've noticed so far with MotoGP is that, you know, it, in Moto3 and Moto2, things are always tight. And I find that things are always like you, you really can make the difference just trying a little bit harder or doing some small things different. Whereas I find in MotoGP, the, the difference from track to track, there's always one manufacturer that works better. Or if the tires are a bit different, one manufacturer might be good, another one might struggle a little bit. And uh, in general, I find, find it really hard to understand as you go from one weekend to the other, you know, one weekend you can be super strong and the next weekend you're really struggling to crack in the, in the crack that top 10 in all the sessions. And, um, yeah, there's so many more things involved in MotoGP. I've noticed it's not just, you know, you're the, you're the quickest guy on track and your bike's working great and there you go, you can win the race. It's, there's uh, the tyres, you know, if, which, which tyre is going to last the race? Which tyre works for us? Does it work for everyone else? Or what works for them might not work for us on the day. And um, it, there's a lot more, uh, lot more moving factors about MotoGP that's, makes it a lot more difficult as a rider as well because you almost have to accept when things aren't going great you need to just deal with it you know and do your absolute best and take the max maximum possible but uh yeah yeah i found always in the smaller categories there's always a way to do it and we could always figure it out whereas yeah it seems you know you're playing with this really fine line and it's super difficult to to find that last last tiny but especially if things aren't really working out for the weekend uh, Brad, obviously Miguel steps up to the factory team for this year. Um, you guys have, in my opinion, a bit of a unique relationship in that you've been teammates in all three classes. And, and not just that, but in Moto3 and in Moto2, when Miguel was fighting for the championship in 15 and 18, you, on occasion, you know, acted as his wingman and almost sometimes sacrificed maybe your own results for the, you know, the good of Miguel and the good of the team. I was just wondering, is that basically... Is that because you and Miguel get on so well, because you like Miguel, he's a good guy, or is that just because, you know, it's that team ethic that you have in KTM, or is it a mix of both? Yeah, I mean, um, we've definitely been, well, we've been teammates since 2015, had a couple of years uh, where, where we've been in separate places, but uh, it's super to have Miguel as my teammate again. Um, you know, it's 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 always great to have him on the other side of the box. He's always been super fast and always pushes really hard. So definitely keeps me on my toes, keeps me working hard. And um, yeah, you know, I think I think uh, in um, in Moto three and two, especially, he was always when I came in, he was one year one step ahead of me. And it took me too much time to always try and catch up. But um, you know, now in MotoGP, it's, I feel like it's maybe a little bit of a different story because there's nowhere to really run from here or to go from here. So uh, this is the pinnacle and we all got to really try and um, try and do our, our best from here. You know, that's the crazy thing with MotoGP. 
it's the fastest guys in the world on the best bikes and it's it's something that i really you know you kind of go to bed at night and you think this is crazy you know this is something you've always dreamed of but it's it's super hard work at the same time you know there's uh you know in days things aren't going well times are tough as well it's difficult to to try and uh find your way to back to where you want to be and when you do i always find that you come back much stronger so uh it's funny how how things work in MotoGP, and I'm really looking forward to just carrying on this um, this path together. It's going to be awesome to have him as my teammate again this year, and I'm sure we can push the project on nicely. Brad, just to ask you one last question for myself, we've actually got Daz coming onto the pod in a couple of weeks' time as well for a Moto3 preview show. Just wondering how important it is for you to be able to have someone that you know that's going through the same things you're going through and the same for him as well. Where Obviously, we've talked to Sam and Alex Lowe's in the past about how each of them has always gone through something similar to the brother and they're able to give them some insight. They're able to help them forward with it. How important is that for you as well? For sure. You know, it's funny. Over the years, you see, like I see my brother struggle with things I've struggled with and... um, you know, I've I've always been uh, I've well, I've I was in GP for three years before here after three or four years already. So, um, yeah, I'm quite a bit older than Darren, so I have a bit more experience. And you know, sometimes I see him struggling with things, and I think back and I can think of when I had the exact same situation. And of course, you know, you always find a way to to uh, to make things better and make things work. But um, it's funny because it's so easy to just go and say, hey, you need to do this, this, and this, and it it will be better it can only help but at the end of the day i find it's you always got to just deal with it yourself and figure it out in your own way on in your own time and uh yeah as as much as i try to give my little brother some advice now and then um you know it's it's just it's it's difficult to really uh it's like anything you know it's one thing to say but it's another thing to do so uh it's funny, I try to help him wherever I can, but sometimes I think it's best just to let him be and, uh, you know, he, he always seems to figure it out himself anyway. And just one last question for me, Brad. Um, obviously, South Africa had, you know, great success in Grand Prix back in the late 70s, uh, early 80s. Um, but there was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a barren patch for the country um, until you and Darren came into the, the World Championship. Um, does that, in some ways add a little bit of pressure to you the fact that you and, and Darren are, are basically the, the sole representatives of, of South Africa because all eyes from your country are are on you guys or does it act as a boost I mean can you talk a little bit about that and how, how that is it's, it's difficult to say it's um you know sometimes obviously with us being the only ones from South Africa here at the moment um you want to do an incredible job for not only yourself but your whole country you know and um yeah, I think I think on one hand it's it helps a lot to be the only ones from our country because you know I think especially in maybe not so much now but earlier in our careers where I think you'd find say there's a there's five or six Spanish guys you know and you that guy coming fifth or sixth all the time you're gonna fall out at some point and I find that almost maybe as a South African you. Uh, you, they want other people from other, well, more uh, different nationalities in MotoGP. So I find that maybe at the beginning when things weren't going well, we stood more of a chance to really uh, learn and try and uh, we had more time to fix fix our uh, 
our weak points to try and get further towards the front. And um, yeah, so in one one hand, I find that it's it's really been a positive, but on other on the other hand, it was so difficult to get here because we have no support from South Africa at all. We have uh, you know the, you can win our local championship five hundred times and it's you're not going <laughs> to get anything. So uh, it's uh, it's funny, you know. The only way to really try and make a career in MotoGP or in bike racing in general, regardless of what category, is you have to come to Europe. And, um, you know, I left Europe, uh, left South Africa to start racing this side when I was 12 years old already. So it's, it's been a, been a long time since, since I've raced at home. Yeah, you really do need to forge your own path in the, into the Grand Prix paddock. But Brad, a big thank you for joining us on the podcast this week. Thank you very much for having me, guys. All the best. Cheers, Brad. Good luck. Really interesting to sit down and talk with Brad for... 15, 20 minutes there, I'd just be able to get his thoughts on what he's gone through. Obviously, we're recording this after the first test of the season, and uh, there's a bit of work to be done, as we alluded to in the pod, but uh, or in the interview, but uh, certainly for KTM, there's lots of reasons for optimism for them for this year. Yeah, he's, he's not getting flustered, is he? Um, I think one of the things I took from the interview as well was the fact that, you know, he... You know, the, the part about South Africa, you know, and Neil's question, I mean, maybe it was because it was the last one of the interview, it's fresh in their mind. But, um, you know, the fact that I've interviewed many sort of South Africans as well and MXGP and Australians. And, you know, there's that cliched, they've given up everything to move to the other side of the world. Um, and therefore, there's this kind of narrow window for them to succeed. Um, there is a an extra kind of, I don't know, grit or some kind of determination or I'm trying to find another cliche here to throw at it but the you know the binders do seem to be in in this position where they they literally throw everything at it they've got to go for it otherwise you know there's maybe another four to five spaniards coming through the fim Seth junior world uh championship so steve close. And, oh, so oh, close almost, oh, almost i got it the first time i knew I, that was it i lucked out so you know the point is there's there's plenty of European closer to home riders that will nudge them out of their saddle. So there is an aspect of that mentality that must go into it. Yeah, the FIMC EV Repsol Junior World Championship ad. But uh, Neil, for you, obviously, we, we heard from Brad during the course of that interview what he has to go through. But it's always interesting whenever you look at the KTM line of succession as well. We've talked about it on the pod already. And you mentioned this as well when you asked him about being teammates with Miguel all the way through. But from Red Bull rookies into the Moto3 class, into Moto2, into MotoGP, that's special to be able to see that progression that's available for riders. It is really special, yeah. It does show that KTM system is working um, fantastically well, exactly as they set out for it to work. Um, and I also think, you know, for Binder, it must be in some ways a bit comforting because he steps into a team next to, well, Miguel Oliveira for this year. Um, but it's more, it's just like another step. It's not like something completely new. We know that um, Aki Ayo runs his Moto2 and Moto3 teams, like pretty tight ship. Um, he... In some, in many respects, it's a it's a mini MotoGP machine. Uh, sorry, a mini MotoGP team. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it's it's beneficiary for when they do um, arrive to MotoGP. There's not so many. Well, obviously, there's a big change with the bikes and everything like that. The number of people in the garage, but um, it's more a natural progression rather than just a total shock to the system. Um, and you know, may have been one of the factors that led to Brad uh, getting up onto his feet so quickly as a MotoGP rider. Obviously, Neil, I mentioned that we're going to have Darren Bender on the show as well. 
before we, we get to the start of the season. But I found it interesting that whenever I asked Brad about, you know, trying to help each other, that it was pretty clear that the Binder brothers need to take their own path. They, you know, it's very clear that they're very different characters, Darren and Brad. But it's also interesting that whenever you look at someone like Brad, the Akiyo school really worked for him. Tough love, get the work done, figure out a solution. Whereas maybe for Darren, what's going to work is the Patronus team, where it's much more about a family oriented approach, finding a way to just get the most out of their riders. They seem like much more of a cuddly team, for want of a better phrase, <laughs> compared to the IO team. And that's what's interesting for me in the comparison between the two brothers. Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of get the impression that with Aki IO, unless you're starting the year as a challenger, as someone that can fight, then you might not get that armor on the shoulder that you need. But if you're on it from the start, then um, then things are going to work out okay for you. And Brad was obviously fortunate enough to be quick from the very start with that team. Um, whereas Darren, you know, he had a couple of difficult, well, he had a terrible start to the year with Haki and it, it didn't really work out. Um, but yeah, I think, again, that's just a sign of, of the two different characters. Brad, you know, as I mentioned earlier, is... He's a tough character, you know, he doesn't necessarily need love all the time. He expects a lot from himself. And I think Darren, although he's super laid back, you can maybe see in his GP results that, uh, yeah, he needs a bit more love around him um, to be super fast. And there's also just the fact that they've developed, I think, at different stages. Um, you know, Darren's coming into his own now this year as a really strong Moto3 rider. Um, Brad was able to do it just a little bit quicker. So, yeah, um, I think they'll both get there in the end, to be honest. Well, um, you know, coming to 2021, uh, you know, Brad and Miguel obviously have the wins for KTM. Uh, it was something that Paul Espargaro you didn't achieve, even though you could say Paul was the stronger rider towards the end of 2020. So for both of you, who do you think is going to emerge, you know, top of, of, of the tree in that team? Is it going to be Miguel? Because from, even though they mean nothing, the, the initial testing time seemed to indicate that he's on the pace straight away with, with, with the factory bike. Um, you know, but or do you think Brad's kind of uh dogginess in, in the battle will, will eventually earn him more points? Miguel's probably gonna be more consistent, and I think Brad could have very high peaks. And I think overall they'll probably come out pretty much the same as one another. I think if I was to put my fiver down, I'd probably Fiverr down, who's going to be in front of each other at the end of the season? I'm going to go with Brad because a bit like what we talked about in the interview, he has always gotten better the more time he's spent on a bike. So I think he's got a lot of progression possible there through the course of the season. We saw lots of flashes of what he could do last year. I think even if you, you know, everyone talks about Hareth one where he had the pace to be on the podium. I always think that's a little bit of a out of context argument because Everyone can be very fast whenever they're not having to deal with the the hot front tire that you get in Hareth and things like that if you're in traffic. So, you know, it was a little bit clouded by that, but it was still very impressive on a Grand Prix debut to be able to do that. So I think Brad has got a lot of room where he can make some progress for next year. What about you, Neil? Yeah, I think um, I think they're going to be quite closely matched, although I would say that Oliveira probably has the consistency thing worked out just a little bit better. Um, also, we're going to be going to um, Portimao early in the season, third race. And, you know, if Miguel can get a couple of decent results in Qatar, you know, he could be leaving Jerez as, you know, one of the top three or four guys in the championship because of his expertise around Portimao, and that would surely be a massive boost. So, um, yeah, Miguel just has the experience, although he's missed out in world championships 
two occasions. Um, you know, he does have that experience of putting consistency together. Brad does as well, to be fair, you know, Model 3 and Model 2. But I think Miguel's just a little bit, has that extra year of experience. I think um, he'll know how to put a, a really consistent campaign together. And Ad, you're not getting off the hook. Who you have coming out on top of that as well? No, I, I was just about to say that the orange fence is really comfy. In fact, there's a great view <laughs> from up here. Uh, and because we're not allowed really into circuits, you know, you can see most of the tracks. So I'm just going to sit, stay sitting right here on the fence. I no, I, I love. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love. Uh, I love seeing Brad race. You know, I mean, he's got a kind of a distinct style and language on the bike. Um, but Oliveira, of course, you know, has that extra, not even a full season, maybe two thirds of a season experience. And uh, you know, as we've seen through the classes, he always seems to excel a little bit first. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of a pecking order in 2021. And then uh, to see, let's see if they're both, um, you know, to pick a, an Alex Rins uh, comment. Let's see uh, if both uh, riders are together again for 2022. Yeah, we'll wait and see what happens with the KTM battle. It's going to be interesting once it gets underway. So Adam, a big thank you to you for joining us on this Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing Special, where we spoke with Brad Binder. So thanks for joining us, Ad. Cheers, Steve. Cheers, Neil. And thanks for joining us, Neil. Thanks very much, Steve. Cheers, Ed. Thanks very much to everyone for supporting the podcast. Patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass Podcast. For as little as $3 a month, you can help support the pod and allow us to have an, a lot of extra content through the course of the season, such as these interviews with Brad Binder. So patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Paddock Pass Pod, where you can drop us some feedback as well. So until the next time of the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Raisin, a big thank you once again for listening. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com.